0: I do not believe that these charges can fairly prevent Judge Kavanaugh from serving on the court.
1: Women need to support women and men need to support women. And Kavanaugh has proven that he is not ready for the Supreme Court. Vote him down.
0: Well, once again tonight, Brett Kavanaugh has broken sharply with the tradition of Supreme Court nominees and
1: has decided to make another public statement outside of the Judiciary Committee hearing room, which is usually the only place that we ever hear from a Supreme Court nominee. But I think that his performance during the hearings caused me to change my mind. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So I tweeted this week that these confirmation hearings for Brett Kavanaugh have been hell on the hippocampus, and they have. For those of us who believed the manifest evidence that Kavanaugh assaulted Christine Blasey Ford and those of us who saw that Kavanaugh's incoherent and contradictory denials only provided more evidence against him, the pain of this week has come in reliving Ford's experience with Kavanaugh. And we've also been reliving our own experiences with sexual assault, silencing, and smear campaigns. For those who are in high color on Kavanaugh's behalf because they think Ford bore false witness since she's a paid crisis actor, Um, I'm not as concerned with their hippocampuses. But I'm sure they're looking pretty black and blue too. On the eve of what looks like it'll be Kavanaugh's confirmation to the Supreme Court, I really wanted to do a show that would turn the temperature down and inject some cool rationality into a conversation defined largely by tears, menacing shouts, and a cacophony of animal pain. My guest to that end is Ben Wittes. He's the editor-in-chief of Lawfare and a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution. Wittes is very good with perspective and detailed but open-minded analysis in our turbulent times. And Ben's often downright chipper as when one of the Mueller indictments comes out and he and the Lawfare gang convene to admire the prose and precision of everyone's favorite special prosecutor man, can we get back to the Mueller investigation? I will always resent that Brett Kavanaugh has kept me from enjoying the Manafort flip. And one day we will be back to that on Trumpcast. But today, Ben is joining us. And like the rest of us, he's not feeling as chipper as he is when he talks about Mueller. Wittes has come forward with great reservations to oppose Kavanaugh whom he's known for a long time and worked with as a nominee to the Supreme Court. His heavy-hearted piece in The Atlantic is titled, I Know Brett Kavanaugh, But I Wouldn't Confirm Him. This is definitely a plaintive ballad of a Trump cast but it's a powerful one. Maybe it's a power ballad. Joining me on the line is Ben Wittes. He's editor in chief of Lawfare and a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution. His recent piece in the Atlantic is titled, I know Brett Kavanaugh, but I wouldn't confirm him. You can look for it in the show notes at slate.com slash Trumpcast. Ben, welcome back to Trumpcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that I I got to meet you in person. Um, We are Twitter friends, but now we're real friends. Yeah, and, and you're not just a disembodied voice anymore. Exactly. All right, so let's start with the basics. I it, We're all kind of wrung out from this week. I'm going to use a name that's going to surprise you, Brett Kavanaugh. How well do you know this
0: guy? So I, I don't really want to talk about the details of our relationship. Uh, yeah. But uh, I've known him for a very long time, uh, and we've kind of— lived parallel lives in the issue sets that we've dealt with over a long period of time. So Brett Mm. was the, you know, was working on, you know, for Ken Starr in the Office of Independent Counsel at a time that I was writing about the investigation for the Washington Post editorial page. And then uh, he, you know, was in the White House working on judicial nominations and post 9-11 uh, legal fallout when I was covering those issues. After he went on the bench, which was around the same time that I came to Brookings, uh, I started working principally on national security legal issues at precisely the time that the D.C. Circuit was hearing this very long and involved raft of Guantanamo habeas cases, which you mm-hmm. know I spent a lot of time with. And so in a weird kind of way, we've kind of had very overlapping issue sets for for a long time. And we've interacted quite a lot as a result of that. And you're
1: a deep thinker on these matters. So you're not just saying that you, um, you know, think he is an affable person. And I should say, even, you know, Dahlia Lithwick, who is to the left of you, has sort of stepped to the fact that Kavanaugh is... You know, is a nice guy, and you also found, at least your Atlantic piece says, you found that he also thought deeply about issues like habeas and, you know, impeachment and and um and the the pressing issues that used to preoccupy us before this president.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I, I when Brett was nominated, I was delighted by that because not you know, not because I would have preferred that President Trump be making nominations and not because Brett's judicial philosophy is especially representative of my own, but because within the universe of people that it was conceivable that President Trump would nominate, I uh, couldn't imagine he would choose one uh, better than and more open-minded than and more thoughtful than Brett. And so, uh, you know, and that does reflect a lot of years of dealing with him on a raft of issues, in which, frankly, I think he is a model of the kind of engagement that you would want from somebody who you agree with about some things, disagree with about others, things really disagree with about other things. And I have, as I say, dealt with him about a lot of different issues over the years, and I've always found him more than affable. I mean, he, he he is an affable guy. He is somebody who it's, you know, fun to uh, have lunch with and chat with. But he's a, he is a significant thinker about a, a lot of things that I care about. And I do think in these sort of polarized times when we're, you know, everybody has to be demon or saint, friend or fiend, for those of us who've come to oppose the nomination, despite ourselves, I don't choose to forget the things that are attractive about him as a mind, as a interlocutor, and as a judge and thinker. And so, I, you know, I'm I'm not going to run away from those things. I, I I regret that I am in the position I am, and that he has frankly put us all in.
1: I want to slow down for a minute and have you unpack for us what are some of the specific things that make you admire his work as a circuit judge?
0: Well, so he is, first of all, an enormously clear writer, um, and he's a very clear thinker. And, you know, one thing, agree with a Brett Kavanaugh opinion or disagree with it, you're never going to find that it's muddied uh, or muddled Mm. Uh, in contrast, by the way, to the person he's replacing, Anthony Kennedy, who you can always wade hip deep into an Anthony Kennedy opinion and then find yourself stuck in the mud and hmm. trying to figure out what he is and isn't saying and what the basis for decision is and what the scope of the principle in question are. And and Brett is very clear. His opinions are quite precise uh, mm-hmm. even, even ones that you disagree with intensively, intensely, you, you know exactly what it is you disagree with. And I think that's a mm. virtue in a judge, honestly. Uh, secondly, you would never know it from the display he put on on Thursday, but his temperament from the bench, uh, I've been to many, many oral arguments at the DC circuit. He is a model of civility to counsel. You know, he lets people answer questions, which, you know, not all judges do. Uh, He is extremely well prepared. He knows the record very well. All of these things are, you know, to be counted as virtues in in judges. And so, look, I think there is a lot uh, to admire about Brett Kavanaugh.
1: So that brings us to the the what you call in this Atlantic piece sort of the other Brett Kavanaugh or the Brett Kavanaugh that showed up for the hearing last week with Christine Blasey Ford. So what did you see that day?
0: Um, I couldn't have been more shocked, and I know a lot of people, you know, particularly on Twitter, are making fun of me for being shocked. No apologies. I, I was shocked. And, you know, the person who showed up for that was highly partisan, undecorous, was not civil, and was conspiratorial, uh, was not limited to facts. And I do not begrudge him his anger, um, but I do very uh, very, much—very concerned about and— dismayed by the mode of expression of that, and I thought it was wholly unjudicial. It was unbefitting his current position, in my opinion, and it was certainly unworthy of elevation.
1: Justice, retired Justice Stevens has come out um, against him. I think you found that dubious or even um, unseemly, and Brett Kavanaugh has come out in favor of Brett Kavanaugh. Um, on the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal, did any of that do anything to change your impression of
0: of whether or not he ought to be confirmed? Well, so let me address Justice Stevens' comments first. I um, I I don't believe that we defend norms by violating norms, and I think the norm that retired justices are very muted in what they say about the functioning of the court is a good norm. I think the uh, expectation that current justices have nothing to say about this one way or another is a good norm. And um, I don't want to see any of that eroded. And so I was, I know a lot of people were excited by Justice, Stevens's com- Justice Stevens' comments. I was not. And I wish That he had not said what he said. I also don't think current nominees should be writing op eds about themselves and their qualifications. And that's why we have hearings. If you are going to write an op ed endorsing yourself, as you put it, I think it is a bad idea to, if you're part of the thing you're addressing, is a suggestion that you behaved in a partisan fashion uh, or that you comported yourself in a fashion that allies yourself with one ideological group, um, writing an op-ed in the organ of that ideological movement strikes me as exceedingly unwise. That said, I do think there were some valuable things that he said in the piece. uh, For example, that he he sort of acknowledged that some of the things that he'd said had gone too far and had been inappropriate and that he shouldn't have said them. And he acknowledged, furthermore, by the mere act of writing the piece, that he had reassurance to offer. There was some reassurance that he needed to offer people that he was going to behave like a judge. Um, Mm. I do think it's actually sort of a good thing he had the desire to do that, But I don't think the op-ed is a good format for that. Having been a professional editorial writer myself, I love that form, but it's Mm -hmm. not the right form for that. And I think the only appropriate way of addressing that is, number one, if he gets confirmed to comport himself in that fashion in a – meticulous fashion over time is I think the only the only way that that he will actually convince anybody that he's capable of that.
1: This time has been trying for people who hew closely to the kind of idiom that we learned in college that most people still practice in the Senate, measured, as you say, ideally meticulous, and even what J.L. Austin, the linguist, calls constative, you know, uh, having something to do with reality. And this was clearly, I think Kavanaugh has turned in three acts of performative speech, performative speech acts um, that were meant to spike cortisol. They were meant to rally support. They were meant to express anger. Um, and these these three were very Trumpian performances. And I'm thinking of the the Fox News performance, first off, which was considered by many to be measured by contrast with the other two, except that it was on Fox News, which is not quite as fair and balanced as its old slogan used to say. Then he, of course, testified. And that was, you know, pretty off the rails, I think, by any standard. I even think people who liked the performance liked how operatic and furious it was, um, and then the and then the Wall Street Journal would, one, which sort of split the difference, but was certainly defensive and in a partisan platform. So, I mean, I think this kind of performative speech, which it, you know belongs maybe in the Senate, is I don't know what the justices say are making of it. I mean, this is so outside the norm that I think many of our minds are blown. And I guess to bring this around to a to a real point, do you think there were, was there any point aside from being sort of unprofessional and was there any point in that testimony after Dr. Ford's testimony that you thought was simply a lie, like could be held in relation to reality and found wanting?
0: Um, so let me answer that in two ways. Um, I you know, I do not believe that 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 testimony showed the sort of candor that we should expect from somebody who would be a justice. And, you know, to, to know particularly what is a lie, you have to have an intimacy with the underlying conduct that actually very few people have, right? I did not drink with Brett Kavanaugh, in his late teens or early 20s. And so his comments about, you know, his insistence that he was never blackout drunk, he was never out of control, I cannot say with any definity what the truth of that is, save that it is contradicted by a number of people who knew him at the time Mm -hmm. uh, and who drank with him. Uh, What exactly they were trying to convey in that yearbook about, uh, one of their, you know, the, uh, about Renata uh, Dolphin uh, Schrader with the term Renata alumni, I cannot definitively say what the answer to that question is, save that I don't believe that it was an innocent uh, show of respect for an admired female friend, which is the mm. way he categorized it. So, I mean, I, I am you know, people throw around words like lies and perjury too blithely, and I'm not going to mm. do that. I mm-hmm. will say that I was very troubled by the candor of his testimony on a number of points, even assuming that uh, he's telling the the whole, whole truth about Christine Blasey Ford's allegations. I am uncomfortable with his testimony about the sort of aggregate culture that that allegation arose from and I, I, you know, have a problem with that. The court
1: itself, so last week in the LA Times, I wrote about the prestige of the court and cited Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, who I think, his kind of closing statements the other day, I think, were fairly brilliant, and and I've watched them a number of times because they were a dose of sanity. Like Amy Klobuchar, he was one of the Senators, who was directly addressed about his drinking and drinking game practices. And I think he responded the way you would have and and most of us would have by kind of trying to preserve the norm of and the and the solemnity of the occasion by saying, "You know, in response to "Do you play quarters?" He just said, "No, you know. And anyway, in addition to that, he also said expressed his fear. That we that the Supreme Court would become what he called a captured agency, he meant in service to he he called them Republican special interests, which seems like a, a term from another time when you mean potentially far right interests that posit conspiracies by the Clintons and Uranium One ideas or whatever else he thinks that um, that Kavanaugh was gesturing at there. I mean, I think that's an incredibly credible danger that we might have the prestige of the court take a hit if we have someone like Kavanaugh on it, who is going to have to really work to, I think, gain the trust of his fellow justices there. Um, and maybe we'll take some modulation by Justice Roberts. What do you think?
0: Well, so first of all, um, it is important to remember that Kavanaugh has long prior relationships with all the justices. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has been one of the most assiduous circuit judges in sending his clerks to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, that is a reflection of the fact that his, you know, he is his is a chambers that is a highly desirable one to work in. And the... the mm-hmm young law school graduates who come clerk for him are, you know, uncommonly likely to end up uh, clerking at the Supreme Court. And in addition, you know, his recommendation is taken very seriously. And um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, uh, there is a prior set of relationships there. Um, Look, I, I agree with half of the premise of your question look is it a terrible terrible thing for the reputa- you know for the reputation of this court at least among half of the population of the country to have a justice confirmed in these circumstances yes full stop end of end of question it's it's terrible the caution i would offer is i do think it's important to separate the ideological questions From the questions about his conduct in the court, both his underlying conduct and his conduct in the course of the uh, confirmation process, Mm -hmm. Uh, ideologically, philosophically, Brett Kavanaugh is a figure uh, very much in, in the mainstream of conservative legal thought. When people say people voted for Donald Trump because of the court or it was a big part of why they voted for this is exactly what they were voting for. And so to the extent that the concern is an ideological concern about the direction that Brett Kavanaugh uh, will vote or take the court to that, I say, you know, people go out and vote. Elections have consequences. If you don't like that aspect of it, you got to elect People who will do different things, but that's not an institutional problem for the court. That's actually the way the process is supposed to work. One other thing both the Democrats and the Republicans have participated in that very actively. And I do think that, you know, people call out, and rightly so, Lindsey Graham on this. Um, But, uh, you know, when Maisie Hirano was asked whether she believed uh, Dr. Ford. She actually said that she believed the substance of the allegations because of the content of Kavanaugh's jurisprudential views. And that is an outrageous thing to say. And to the extent the concern is that we are mingling uh, philosophical differences with uh, claims of misconduct, claims of uh, non judicial behavior. I do think there is a a lot of blame to go around on that score.
1: I, you know, when you talk about voters who, in the hopes that the court would move conservative, what instantly comes to mind in our cartoonish times is Roe. One of the things that people, I think, center and left worry about with Kavanaugh is not that he'll chip away at Roe. Probably any Trump nominee would but that he would extend Trump's pardon power. And in general, he has often voted in favor of or shown his hand that he's he supports extended executive powers. And those things, I mean, I think you and I come together on the significance of the Mueller investigation and the very serious indictments against the Trump circle. And if Brett Kavanaugh is being used as a kind of a weapon to protect the president or a, or a shield of kind of, yes, to protect the president. That seems to me more nervous making even than an assault on Roe. How about you? So,
0: well, so this is a, uh, a an issue on which I have, you know, publicly argued that people are misreading his writing. And I have, you know, early on in the nomination. Uh, defended his writings on this subject with which I have you know some familiarity for you know since the days of the star investigation and I I do think they are being misread um, I don't know what his current views are the famous Minnesota Law Review article that everybody cites was originally a speech uh, given at the Minnesota Law Review symposium I believe in 2008 uh, and Brett was the keynote speaker, one of two keynote speakers at that conference, and the other one was me. Um, and hmm. uh, we, you know, I I don't believe that article says what people think it says. Um, there is no doubt that he has pretty doctrinaire views about the appointments clause issues under Article 2, which bear on... Certain aspects of of you know the independent counsel law and the sort of famous uh, Scalia dissent in Morrison v Olson, and so I have no doubt that in that sense he is a sort of executive power purist. None of that affects the Mueller investigation. Mueller wasn't appointed on any under anything like the independent counsel law. He was appointed on something that you know the, the the crazier corners of the conservative legal movement, notwithstanding, has no constitutional question about it at all. And so, you know, I don't really think the that aspect of the set of concerns about Brett Kavanaugh do not particularly concern me. Um, and I say that as someone who, as you know, is very deeply and daily concerned about the integrity of the Mueller investigation.
1: Is, um, all right, I, I want to get to the FBI report and... Kavanaugh and the people around him seemed to me to be powerfully opposed to a full FBI investigation. That, above all, is what surfaced in Kavanaugh's testimony and in the way Lindsey Graham and and Chuck Grassley have handled this report. Graham is said to have taken a look at one page of it. None of them wanted it to happen. Jeff Flake made it happen. Then there's been curbs put on it. I mean, they seem to be quite afraid of some truth coming out, and that is very suspicious to me. So what do you think about how this FBI report has been handled? Do you agree with me that it's alone worrying?
0: Yes, Um, but perhaps not for the precise reason that you just articulated. Um, My view is that... There are three major issues that were presented by his testimony. One was the underlying question of whether his version of uh, the—whether Christine Blasey Ford's allegations are true or or not. The second is— whether along the way to denying it, he made significant material misrepresentations of fact with respect to his drinking and to his involvement in a certain culture. And the third was his comportment and you know, what I think of as sort of unacceptable partisanship. I think it is Almost unbelievable that there was resistance to the idea of the FBI investigating the first mm-hmm. set of que- the first question. And mm-hmm. the idea that 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 was not immediately referred to the FBI for uh, to figure out whatever you can find. And by the way, whatever you can find, given the age of it, given the fact that by her account, there were only two people who knew the assault had taken place, Uh, neither of whom has a particular incentive to admit it, Uh, you know, maybe what you can find out is almost nothing. But the idea that there was not an immediate interview of Mark Judge, uh, of her and of him uh, before the hearing, uh, strikes me as uh, very inappropriate and a show of real lack of confidence in in what the facts would bear out. I also think, and this is probably only evident after the hearing, that there is an important set of ancillary questions that arose about drinking. And that is not because I think it is appropriate to do a sort of roving inquest into Brett Kavanaugh's history of alcohol use, which I don't believe is appropriate to do, Um, but because... By way of defending himself, he made certain claims about what he hadn't done alcohol-wise. And those claims were immediately contradicted by a bunch of people who purport to know them not to be true, including Mm -hmm. most recently three of his self-described drinking buddies at Yale in a Washington Post op-ed last night. So I think there's, you know, that raises two issues, both of which I think would properly have been encompassed within a reasonably scoped investigation. One is if, in fact, he drank in the fashion that she is describing in that piece, in in, in her allegations, which he denies that would tend to lend credibility to her story and would be an important corroborative component on its own terms in addition i do think when a nominee makes statements that a whole lot of people say whoa that is not true Mm -hmm. and i don't mean people like observers like Mm me I i reacted as i said before that. Wow, I have a question about the candor of that. But I mean people who purport to know that it isn't true. Mm
1: -hmm. And they
0: say that is not a true statement that he made in his confirmation hearing. I do think it is uh, at a minimum very awkward to confirm somebody without reality checking those statements. And so I I don't think this is the FBI's fault. As you know, I am a— Apologist for um, <laughs> and uh, you know the deep state and uh, uh, um, I'm you know Glenn Greenwald once called me uh, you know a courtesan of the, the the of the power of power and high praise know, a, a, badge a, of honor a, a, apologist <laughs> for the national security state apparatus and I certainly embrace all of those descriptions but I don't know and I and obviously I have not seen the. FBI report, so I have no reason to think it wasn't professionally done within the confines of the time and scope limitations that the Bureau had, but I don't see how those time and scope limitations are reasonable under the circumstances.
1: I want to address the somewhat funereal tone that I don't think you and I have ever struck with each other. I haven't heard you sound this down on Lawfare either. There's a certain... Well, exhaustion from the cortisol poisoning of the two testimonies i just i i don't think I've ever um like physically felt so activated by two different kinds of highly charged testimony. It just it just put you through the ringer that day to see someone. Um, describing trauma and sexual assault. Um And then another person I thought less, quite a bit less convincingly and less sympathetically describing being falsely accused. But both of those things, it just felt like, I don't know. It felt like, like, like getting divorced and having your mother die on the same day or something. I don't know. I, I probably need to look at why I thought found that day so upsetting. Then there's this a certain tone of reluctance about having to come forward That Christine Blasey Ford modeled for us, but the Yale classmates and the editorial you cited also say, you know, it gives us no pleasure to do this. You know, they were his drinking buddies. These are people like who, you know, found him appealing, have affection for him, but that they need to come forward. Deborah Ramirez and Julie Swetnick, um, you know, whose test, the tires of uh, whose testimony have not been kicked yet. We don't know uh, how accurate they were, but they'd seem to also take no pleasure in coming forward. And then there's you, who, um, who, as you say, in general, you don't mind being seen as someone who, you know, is close to James Comey, who knows James Comey, and who's willing to sort of give support to what he says. And, and, you know, and this time, you feel the same way about Kavanaugh because your careers have been somewhat in parallel and shared interest in the same issues. But your piece just has a tone of such reluctance. And I know from you that this Atlantic piece sort of took a lot out of you to write it. And maybe you can tell me something about that reluctance.
0: Yeah. A few things on that. First of all, I would have happily sat this one out. And, you know, I don't, there's a lot of people who feel very entitled to uh, other people's opinions. And, you know, there's a lot of like denunciation on Twitter and elsewhere of people who, uh, you know, haven't, who've kept their own counsel on this subject or haven't, you know, spoken up. And I don't share that at all. I would have, Happily, been one of those people. As I said at the beginning, I've had a long and happy professional set of interactions with Brado for a long period of time. I like the guy. I have published him on Lawfare, by the way. His, if you want an example of Kavanaugh being a model of engagement with people of other, you know, political orientations and jurisprudential orientations. Read his review of Judge David Barron's book about war powers. Uh, on we'll put fare. that. It,
1: we'll put that in the show notes. Just yeah. if, since it looks like he's going to be confirmed, it might it might do all of us good to see him at his best um, in that piece. Yeah. So you've published him,
0: and yeah. so I. I mean, I, I. You know, would have happily sat this out as a bystander and somebody who just. Kind of watched agape as lots of people have, uh, except that I had said I had vouched for his character in public before these allegations arose. And as a result of that, I was sort of understood as somebody who was, you know, kind of actively supporting him. And I had specifically said that, that. He was not a liar, and I didn't believe he'd lied to the Senate Judiciary Committee, and I didn't believe that he was, you know, I, that I thought he was a sort of, you know, quite apart from what you think about his judicial views. I thought he was a thoroughly decent and honorable person. And and then he gave this, first of all, this allegation arose. Uh, and secondly, he then gave this testimony that, you know, I had real concerns about. And I thought, given that what I had said on the subject in public— I had a sort of more public obligation than some other people to, uh, you know, grapple with how the record had changed. And so, you know, that was why I did that. Look, was I reluctant to do it? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I am differently situated from either somebody much differently situated from somebody who claims to be a, a, a sexual assault victim, obviously. I'm also differently situated from somebody who knows the guy socially, from you know, from having been drinking buddies in college, and feels a certain sense of civic obligation to you know describe what they, in their own minds, un- know to be untruths that he said. So I'm not a fact witness in that regard. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not. You know. I'm somebody who. Who made an argument based on what I knew about his character that was shown to be at least a lot more complicated than I understood when I made those comments. And so, I I mean, I do think I'm differently situated from those people. I also think that I'm, you know, I'm a more public person than they are. So Mm that's certainly the costs to me are very different, uh, very much less. And so I don't actually want to compare your comparison of their reluctance and mine. I'm not sure is quite right. My reluctance is just, you know, boy, I wish I didn't have to do this. But whereas I think, you know, they they had this other thing. Do I want to thrust myself in the public eye uh, in a way that I'm going to, you know, get Torn down and attacked, and that's a very different set of questions. Uh, that said, if the answer to your if the question is, was I reluctant to do this? Yes, I was very reluctant to do it. And I, uh, if circumstances had been different and I had not said the things that I'd said before these allegations arose, I would very happily have been somebody who just had nothing to say on the subject.
1: All right, to wrap up, I want to quote Christine Blasey Ford as saying, a lot of this seems to be we'll find out, I guess, but indelible in the hippocampus these last couple weeks of the of the confirmation. I mean, Trump Times, we've all been a little bit on fire since the since the election. Um, but why is this more even than the border separations, Puerto Rico? Um, why is this one the one that feels like, it's exerting some kind of trauma on people. I know what women are saying and feminist groups are saying, and I've been, you know, more people have been sexually assaulted than have even, you know, than have lived through a hurricane. So that may may be part of why not Puerto Rico. Um, certainly more people have been sexually assaulted than have lived through false accusations of something like this in the public eye. Is that it? Or, you know, why is it running sort of, running so hot right now. Why this in particular?
0: Speaking of things that are not my expertise, you know, political culture and sociology is probably Mm -hmm. one of them. But let me give you a couple thoughts. So one is definitely the reason that you describe, which is that sexual assault is much more pervasive than a lot of people, certainly including me, understood before the Me Too movement. And having a um, Supreme Court nominee publicly confronted by a witness in that fashion and made to answer for it and doing so in these very searing terms uh, that he did is clearly a, a major moment in its own right. And so that's, I think, part of the equation. Another part of the equation is that, and I think a lot of people who are left of center really do not understand this. And, But, you know, it is hard to overstate what people like Brett Kavanaugh mean to the conservative movement and the conservative legal world. And, you know, when Brett talks about, you know, the many... Clerks, he's mentored. How many of them are women? He is not. That is absolutely true. And there is no analog in the liberal world to people like Brett Kavanaugh in the amount that the establishment of their political and legal movements invests in them over time. And, you know, the conservative movement has been grooming the Brett Kavanaughs of the world for moments like this for a very long time and i mean that by the way not as criticism or as conspiracy but as praise i i, I think the investment that that the movement makes in 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 the best of its people is admirable and frankly attractive and and Kavanaugh has been both the is one of the singular examples. There are others of uh, a person who has both been the recipient of that embrace, and for his the people that he has mentored and sent on to the Supreme Court and to great things uh, in professional lives. Also, a source of that embrace, and you know, it is very hard for liberals and center left people and lefties to understand how upsetting it is uh to you know conservatives to watch a person like that be torn down the way from their perspective this process is seeking to tear him down and so I think you have on on one side of the equation this very deep uh, set of traumas being explored and unearthed and poked at and uh, a lot of people being triggered and on the other side of the equation a very fierce and serious investment in uh, that has spiritual and political and moral components all wrapped up into it all you know all being attacked and made vulnerable at the same time And there are, you know, I know this is hard to believe, but there are actually people who are experiencing both sets of traumas at the same time because they're, they're, they have, I I don't know how many feet people can be expected to have, but they have multiple feet in multiple Mm -hmm. worlds.
1: Um, Maybe you among them. Um, Me definitely among them.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm, I am you know, I am torn up about this. I mean, I wrote what I wrote and I believe it. And I I could, if I were a senator, I could not vote for Brett Kavanaugh. If you force me to say how I would weigh the evidence, uh, I weigh the evidence in Christine Blasey Ford's favor. uh, And I'm not comfortable with Brett Kavanaugh's performance uh, at a, Partisan level, and I'm not comfortable with the candor of it either. And I said those things, and I stand by them. And if you ask me, am I heartsick about it? To watch uh, what has happened, absolutely heartsick about it.
1: I don't, I just always always admire how deeply you think about these things, and and of course, don't let the tweet world get you down.
0: Uh it's been a shitty week. Um, oh my but God, I'm, I know. I'm, this is the only substantial interview on the subject I'm gonna do. And I very much appreciate your uh, the seriousness with which you did it. Thank
1: you, Ben. And that's it for today's show. How'd you feel about the show? Let us know by tweeting at Real TrumpCast and tweet at me, I'm at page 88, P-A-G-E 88. We would love to hear your feedback. And what do you want to talk about next? What's important to you that's not getting the coverage you think it should? Let us know. Again, we are at Real Trumpcast. Our show today was produced by AC Valdez with help from Daniel Schroeder. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.